If you're into watches or even recently started paying attention to them, chances are you've been influenced by my guest this week. A gentleman who grew up collecting watches with his father and studied them like a rocket scientist. I say that because, well, he's a former rocket scientist. My name is Jeremy Kirkland, and this is Blamo, a podcast exploring the world of fashion with the people who shape it. My guest this week is Paul Boutros, head of Watches Americas for the acclaimed Phillips Auction House. Paul and I discuss how his love of watches began, the upcoming Game Changers auction at Phillips, and how a random email led to the discovery of Marlon Brando's long-lost watch. Paul also shares tips on how to collect and the reason why collectors don't want a polished watch. Paul Boutros, how you doing? Doing great. Um, first off, before we, before we begin, a huge I owe you a massive thank you because I don't know if you realize this, and I've actually said this in other podcasts before, um, you are the reason that not only I like got into watches, but I've been allowed and stayed into watches. Uh, actually, and, and shout out to Paul Lerner, who's in this room. A long time ago, I went on an AP like event, which was a lot of fun, and I was a new guy, uh, just kind of a nerdy dude. I had a sub at the time, and I met some other collectors, and I could tell that, you know, and this is no shot at the community, but the community, you know, they're like, who's this new person? I'm, I'm kind of curious. But there was one person who was extremely welcoming and open and talked to me. And I still consider as one of the most generous people in the industry. And that was you. Wow. <laughs> Thank you, Jerry. <laughs> um, I do remember our, our first few meetings and always being impressed with your curiosity, uh, your, your genuine thirst for knowledge, but also you were looking to help others. Yeah. And every time you came to speak to me, uh, you were not looking for anything personal, any favors, um, but just genuinely looking to help others in the industry. And I, and I really appreciated that. Well, thanks. Yeah. I mean, I've, to be honest, I was learning all that from you. So from the bottom of my heart, I really, really can't thank you enough. Um, uh, that's oh. very kind of you, <laughs> but you, you, you've, uh, you've done great for yourself, oh, and, and it's, it's uh, a result of your hard work. Thank you. Uh, we're here to talk about you, but also talk about what's been happening over at Phillips. Um, I mean, there's a lot of big watches and things like that that have come out, and you and uh, Aurel uh, Box, uh, Box and Russo have really kind of, I would say, definitely changed the entire industry in terms of the perception and welcoming of the watch world. And it's, it's pretty cool. I mean, the, one of the things that you guys are getting ready to release is this Marlon Brando watch, which I don't know if we could talk too much about how you got it, but I would love to hear a little bit about it. Yeah, for sure. Um, it was May 2018. Okay. Sitting, minding my own business at work. In comes an email, quite a cryptic email from a woman named Petra Fisher. Okay. And I read it and it says, hi, Paul, you don't know me. I found your name. I have a watch that is of great interest to Phillips. Please, can you contact me? Great interest. That's, that was the word they use? That was the word. That's pretty bold. <laughs> I love it. When, when I, love I saw it. that, when, when it says great interest to Phillips, I knew it wasn't spam. Yeah. I knew it was something legitimate. And of course, immediately I reached out. Um, that same day, we spoke on the phone, probably for a good 20 to 30 minutes. And she told me who she was, mm-hmm. that she's Petra Brando yeah. Fisher, the daughter of Marlon Brando. 
And of course, my heart starts to beat very fast when I when I learn that it's Marlon Brando's daughter. And immediately in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, I'm wondering if it's the Apocalypse Now Rolex GMT Master. I'm wondering, wondering, wondering. And she says, I think it is the, <laughs> it, it, you're going to be excited, Paul. Tell me, Petra. My father gave me, uh, when I finished undergrad, the watch he wore in Apocalypse Now. It's a Rolex GMT Master. Which, just to sidebar very quickly, that, it, you know, is, is almost lore. And the fact that so many people had discussed, like, there's all of these amazing historical watches and these wonderful things that have happened, but no one really knew where it was. People knew it existed, but no one knew where it was. So this was, this was a very, very big deal. Yeah, and, and it was brought to, I guess, the watch community's attention first by Jake Ehrlich of RolexMagazine.com yeah. and then covered by Hodinkee when they did a great article, The 12 Greatest Missing Watches. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in that Hodinkee article, of course, with the Marlon Brando watch, but if you go on uh, Google and you search back then, before, before 2018 when we received the watch, if you Google search Marlon Brando Rolex magazine would come up and, and a whole list of watches he wore over the years uh, are featured in that article. So, of course, that's in the back of my mind. She tells me this, and I said, picture tells a thousand words, Petra. If you could please share some pictures of the watches, we'd be, we'd be very eager to see them. And sure enough, she sent me, emailed me pictures right away, and I opened like the second picture, and that's when I f- nearly fell out of my chair. <laughs> the watch was hiding a secret that no one knew, and she didn't even mention it because she thought nothing of it. It was the engraved signature of M. Brando done by Marlon Brando himself. Oh, my gosh. It was unreal. Yeah. I I couldn't believe it. And uh, it just was such a great day, (laughs) that moment. And um, it's been a long journey, but we're finally able to offer it at auction this uh, is upcoming December 10th uh, in New York in our Game Changers theme sale. So let's jump back a bit because this is something that has happened to you before into which someone would reach out to you and say, hey, I think I have something special. Do you think this is special? And, you know, so you get this email and you get the, you get the watch and I'm not asking for any proprietary information, but like what, what does that process look like and even like the dialogue of how you decide to accept it or sell it or research it uh, a lot of it comes from your chemistry with the person oh the, the nature of which uh, I'm, I'm talking about when someone reaches you sure. out of the blue yeah um you could tell if it's fraud or you could tell if it's someone who's wasting your time or you could tell <laughs> if it's someone really legit just right, by the right. nature of the email the email address, you know, if it's a dot yahoo.com <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> address, we, we do some extra scrutiny. Sure. But, um, yeah, a lot of times we get junk email. Um, but when something is, is very personalized, sent to me, quite specific, and well articulated, I take it seriously, of course. We try to tra- track down every lead. Sure. Um, but in this case, it was so compelling and when i spoke to petra immediately i knew i'm dealing with someone legitimate yeah she she's a wonderful person and um extremely articulate and just a you know just a person you you want to get to know and 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 work with so did you go to see this before you guys accepted it 
So yes, okay. <laughs> there, there, I met I met Petra and her husband Russell Fisher, whom she gifted the watch to uh, on their wedding night back in two thousand and three, uh, and he he's decided to consign it, uh, you know, with Petra's, sure. Petra's blessing, and we met them in Europe, Orel and I, to see the watch, okay. <laughs> because they're based in London. Yeah, so we met them for the first time, and um, you know, putting a face to a name and a voice. It was it was great, and they get to see that we're legitimate. That they're, <laughs> yeah. We, we see that they're absolutely the real the real deal, and um, getting to know each other. We explain Phillips's background, Phillips's mission, how we would handle the watch, our marketing approach, and they liked what they heard. Yeah, they decided to consign with us, uh, and it's not just boom. You can you can consign it. There right. are publicity issues because Marlon Brando's name and likeness are owned by a um, enterprise. Oh, so, so like you, the Sinatra type deal thing. Like Paul Newman, there's the Newman's Own Foundation, sure. which owns the name and uh, likeness usage rights for him. Mm-hmm. There's a similar Marlon Brando Enterprises that uh, manages his name and likeness. So we had to get their approval uh, to be able to market and promote this watch. Interesting. Yeah, I mean, because I think a lot of people don't realize um, how much groundwork is laid for these sales. You know, some people are like, wow, there's like, you know, just the other day, there's the Newman watch, and then there's this. And it's like, you guys, you know, operate so, so far ahead of the game. You're, you know, your calendars are already done and set, and you're, you know, there's a lot of promotion to this versus, you know, you get an email and you're like, okay, cool, let's do it, you know. We we do take our time. Yeah. And as I mentioned, it was May 2018 when I first heard from Petra, and now we're approaching December 2019 when yeah, the auction will be right. held. So it, it is such an important watch, and we do our best to do things right. Yeah. And um, when when I'm responsible for the sale of something so important, I feel like the weight of the world is on my shoulders. I have to do justice for this timepiece. No matter what timepiece I'm offering – People have entrusted their babies to us, yeah, and it's our duty to do our best for them. Um, why do you think they do trust you guys? Because, I mean, from my perspective, you guys are an incredible auction house, but you definitely do things a little bit different. I mean, what is it about that that makes you guys, that people just knock on your door? So when, when Orel first contacted me when he was starting Phillips in association with Bax and Rousseau before the... Uh, the company even began. Yeah. Um, today is September 17th. This is exactly five years to the day of when I left Lockheed Martin. Are you serious? <laughs> yes. Wait, this my, is your five-year anniversary? Five year. So it, I, I resigned. My last day at Lockheed was September 17th, 2014. And I started at Phillips September 27th, 2014. Oh, my gosh. Um, and I was one of the first people to sign. I was a consultant back then. Yeah. Helping to build the watch department from the ground floor. When Orel told me about his vision for Phillips, because it was building something from a clean sheet of paper, mm-hmm. he explained, Paul, we're going to do things differently. We're, we're collectors helping collectors. Our mission is scholarship, transparency, quality, and client service. Which so, is a very, uh, uh, just a sidebar, is a very big deal in the auction world. I, I wouldn't say that most auction places are known for those characteristics you just called out. You know, from the beginning till today, yeah, it really is what we stand for. And I think people who know me well 
no, I just ooze watches. Yeah. I, I love them. And they, they have made me so happy uh, since I was a child. And I want others to experience the same joy and happiness I experience with watches, uh, whether they're a buyer or a seller. And that's what I live for. That's what many members of our team live for. Yeah. And, and um, I think when they deal with us and they speak with us, people get that sense. It's not like I could be selling anything. No. It is watches that I adore. And it is watches that um, I want people to enjoy like I've enjoyed. Yeah. And, and to, 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 to gain that happiness. Um, that's what I live for. Yeah. I would say that when that, when that news came out that you, you know, had joined as a consultant, a lot of people weren't that surprised. <laughs> they were elated and overjoyed, but they weren't that surprised. And, and this, you know, kind of goes back to when we first were chatting, you know, you, you're one of the few people I know who, I would say is always the smartest person in the room when it comes to watches, but you never, ever, ever have led that on to anyone. You've never, you've never showed that like, and this is, you know, and I think it's why so many people want to work with you is the the humble nature that you have. And, and also as a side note, there's been so many times where I was talking about a watch and I would mispronounce it. I'd make the wrong reference numbers. I would be like, Oh yeah, I think the style. And you would very subtly and gently be like, let's take a second look at that, <laughs> you know? And it was just a, a very loving way to kind of correct me, but never make me feel stupid. Uh, so <laughs> thank you for saying that. Um, the watch world is b- big. It looks small, but it's yes. actually much bigger and deeper than it looks. And I'm humbled every day working here, working with a team of great specialists mm-hmm. and great clients who show me a thing or two all the time. And that's the, the beauty and joy of collecting watches is you can collect them for a lifetime. You can study them for a lifetime and learn something new every day. And from my childhood, I was the only guy who liked watches. None of my friends, everyone thought I was an oddball. <laughs> and I would always have to kind of try to be very polite and, and <laughs> sheepish in explaining why watches. And it's always my joy to open people's eyes to this new world. And when people come into the world of watches, I really want to help them on their journey to well, learn. Let's jump to that real quick. So, because you were someone, you know, when I'd said that very few people were surprised when you had joined um, because of the nature and your knowledge of watches. But this had been something that you had been really been a part of your whole life. Where did this truly begin? So it all started when I was 10. Um, my roots are from my father, who was a collector of many different things. And my, from a very early age, I was collecting baseball cards. Mm-hmm. Then I got into coins because my dad was a more active coin collector. Do you use stamps ever? He did. I, I never got into stamps. Okay. But I liked coins and I liked precious metals and gold yeah. uh, back then as a child. And one day we were at a coin show in New York. And afterwards, my dad takes me on Fifth Avenue walking up and seeing the shops and it was wintertime just before Christmas. Mm-hmm. And we walked past Wempe, which was at the time on the other side of Fifth Avenue. And I look in the showcases from the street view and I see these watches with these very high price tags. And I couldn't believe this world I was looking at. $15,000, dollars $25,000. for a watch? What is this? Yeah. A beautiful sales lady 
spots me and my interest in my like my my jaw open probably and she says to us come on in and i'm like dad we have to go in <laughs> and i grab him by the arm she takes us inside this really inviting beautiful boutique okay and uh you know the red carpet's rolled out for us yeah and i'm mesmerized and she asks me young man what would you like to see and i pointed out an iwc portofino pocket watch this was 1986 okay uh, and the pocket watch had a price tag of $23,000. She brings it over to the table. Under the halogen lights, she opens up the case back and shows me the movement. And I see these gilt-colored bridges, mm-hmm. the jewels, and the balance wheel ticking in this warm, inviting environment. And it was love at first sight. And from that moment, I had to learn about watches. And uh, that's how it all began. That's and so I mean you started collecting watches. What from then on? What was the first watch you had? Because I think you you might have said this before. Uh, so so the first I mean when, when I was very very young, I think it was like four or five. Mm-hmm. I was absolutely fascinated by digital watches. It was like oh. a, a Casio, and I remember the uh, priest in my parents' church <laughs> was wearing a digital watch, and I begged him for it. <laughs> <laughs> and he gave it to me. Um, oh, nice guy! So I always was kind of fascinated by watches, right? But the it, took, it went to another level, of course, when I when I visited the the Wempy boutique back then. Uh, so it was before the internet, and yeah. I had to learn the hard way. So I remember my dad had um, New York Times newspapers, Wall Street Journal newspapers, Town and Country magazines, and I'd go through the papers and magazines looking for advertisements of watch brands, and I would call. The brands, the numbers listed. Are you serious? I kid you not. <laughs> a, a child calling okay. Audemars Piguet, could you please send me a catalog? Um, and that's how I learned. And, and they would send me these catalogs. My dad saw this, this interest. And instead of going to coin shows, we'd start going to auctions. And we'd oh start going to flea markets hunting for watches. So he really got into it. And it was a, a joint passion between the two of us. Um, so, uh, yeah, some of my happiest memories of my childhood are with my dad and me hunting watches. Oh, that's incredible. And because you, you, you kind of acquired quite a few watches with you and him together for a while, right? Yeah. So instead of him buying coins, sure, we would, I would do my studying. <laughs> of course, I'm a kid. Yeah. I made a lot of mistakes and I tell him, buy this, buy that. And if he liked it, he would, he would buy. And so he was the bank basically. And I right. was the researcher and we, built a collection together that you know there was many many mistakes made uh, of sure. course and we were buying vintage watches and at the time refinished dials were all over oh and, boy and I, I still have we still have those watches yeah. <laughs> and, uh, that's how we learned though yeah yeah and so every one of those mistakes was actually a good learning experience and so this happens up until you go to school, right? So I, uh, yeah, so until about 17, then I go to uh, college and I study engineering. And the engineering coursework, it takes a lot of time. So watches took the back burner. Of course, college life, you have a lot sure. of fun and you don't have time to hang out on the weekends with your dad hunting watches. No, you're, okay. <laughs> you're recovering from the parties on the Thursday nights and the Friday nights. Um, so the watches took sort of a back seat. And then finished undergrad, I start my full-time job. Then I go to grad school while I'm working. And I finished grad school in December 2001, got my master's degree. And my father passed away in January 2002. Oh, God. 
So within three weeks of finishing grad school, he, he passes away. And of course, it was, it was um, not easy during that time yeah, yeah. because he had cancer and uh, it was about nine months since when he was diagnosed and he, and he passed away. And when he, when he died, of course, I visit the safe deposit box where the watches we had collected over the years were. Yeah. And I go finally and I, and I open it and I'm overwhelmed by emotion, of course, because I, I realize this is him and me and my most fond memories together. And so in 2002 is when watch interest came back with a vengeance. So I, no more grad school to, to take away my time. <laughs> right. So you finished that. So I finished that. Now internet's I, out. Now, now internet's there. <laughs> I have time to dive in back to watches. Yeah. And of course I'm working and every extra dollar I'm getting, <laughs> I'm putting it away and, and buying watches for my own collection. And I start writing, I'm taking pictures, bought a good camera, take pictures and start writing about these timepieces. And um, they always remind me to this day of the memories of, of my dad and me. Um, it's, a, it's a very deep kind of thing, but that's what watches are. It's, it's a personal connection that I've got to them. And it's all because of my dad. Do you think your dad's proud of you? I think my dad would be torn. In one sense, he'd be angry at me for abandoning my <laughs> education. But I think in another sense, he'd be blown away by where the passion that you know came from him took me. Well, I would say one thing that maybe you're almost discounting there is the education that you utilized and the, the studying and, and obviously the, the drive and determination that that education gave you that you applied to the watches. Cause it doesn't feel like, especially, you know, coming from an engineering background at, you know, Lockheed Martin, that it was a, a giant pivot. You know, I mean, there's a lot of knowledge and studying that you would learn from there that you're bringing over to this world. Yeah. I mean, watches are mechanical. I yeah. mean, we, we like mechanical watches <laughs> right, right, and, right. and understanding how they work my my focus has always been like the movements and that's what really fascinated me most uh, of course as a collector you evolve to understand aesthetics balance proportions quality of construction finishing but for me the heart is a great movement and as an engineer i appreciate the craftsmanship about it of course engineering teaches you work ethic mm -hmm. and studying and yeah. and you know i had to write a lot in my my work and those things really helped me here uh, because working in the field of watches, especially at an auction house, it's a lot of work. Yeah. And it's a lot of writing. And um, Lockheed taught me well. And yeah, it was, a lot it was, of... It was, it, was a, it was a really a great experience I had. I worked there for 16 years. Heavens. Uh, I had a great career. They, they treated me really well. And um, yeah, when I, when I left Lockheed, they all knew. They were like, Paul, it's about time. And if, really? If, <laughs> yeah, they all knew. Because I would take vacations. My <laughs> vacations would be go to, to go to SIHH or to Basel World or press trips that Paul Lerner kindly invited me to, <laughs> like you. Um, so my vacation times were really to do watch-related things. And everyone knew. And, and uh, because there's no conflict whatsoever with the world of watches and sure. what I was doing at Lockheed, they, they said, Paul, if you ever have any trouble, you're always welcome to come back. 
That's incredible. So, yeah, I mean, I guess if I was Arel, you would be the first person that I'd reach out to. <laughs> well, it, it, was, it was interesting that he, he did that um, because Arel is a, a seasoned watch auction um, veteran, but a very, very knowledgeable and passionate watch person. He, he's loved watches since he was a child as well. Yeah. And it was a father and son thing for him too. So we really bond over that kind of connection. Um, he took a risk with me. Oh yeah, that I, I was never employed in the watch industry, and that's okay. I, I had no track record of transacting because I was not a dealer. I was a collector. You're right. You're right. That's and, fair. And he, I think he he liked the fact that I'm I'd be coming into this from the perspective of a collector. Yeah. And um, yeah, it's been it's been great so far. And you're also really really versatile in what you do at Phillips because I do believe maybe the first geneva auction you had taken the photos yes it was it was interesting we were a very small team and we wanted to do things really different and the first three geneva auction catalogs the first three seasons i was the actual photographer uh for those catalogs and it was probably the first time ever an auction specialist (laughs) turned out to be the photographer of of the catalog but it was those early days starting in 2002 mm-hmm. when i got my first good camera to take pictures of watches that taught me yeah. uh, had to take pictures of watches and i really enjoyed doing it uh when i had to do the full catalog i got some help from oro montanari who, who's also known as john goldberger yeah he um <laughs> He's an um, amazing photographer. Yeah. As a side note to listeners, John Goldberger is kind of the author of basically almost every great watch book in history and also takes a lot of, he takes the photos himself of the watches that he acquires. He's a, he's a trained photographer. He's got an amazing eye. And when I was in the, in the uh, Geneva office shooting, taking the pictures, he'd come and say, Oh, Paul, just raise the aperture a bit. This is what you got to do. Oh, thank you. Thank you. And he he showed me some tip tips and, and techniques and he was super generous with his, his mentorship, uh, which helped me, you know, do that. And it was a fun job. It's really rewarding to get good pictures. I, I really enjoy photography. Uh, but we wanted to show here, here's a guy, not a professional photographer, taking the pictures out of his camera and we're publishing that. This is the transparency aspect of what we stand for. I, yeah. did, I didn't know how to use Photoshop. So none of those pictures were Photoshopped. Are what, you serious? I still to this day don't know how to use Photoshop. I, so what you see is what you get. We, we never doctored the pictures. If it had a scratch, we were proud of the scratches it had. We wouldn't offer things below our standard of quality. Which, again, you know, I'll sidebar here, I think is something that people didn't realize that auction houses would do occasionally, is to like, let's make it look the best possible. And for you guys, you guys, you know, on this transparency, you know, mountain that you guys are standing on, you're like, no, 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 no. Like, this is, that's how it looks. That's how you're going to get it. Exactly. What, what you see is, is what you get. Yeah. And we'd never want to mislead. Uh, so <laughs> when people would, if people would ever say, oh, that's Photoshop, I say, no, it's not. And I know for a fact it's not because I don't know how to use Photoshop. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. This episode is sponsored by CDLP. Underwear so good, I want to talk about it on a podcast. <laughs> If you care about your clothing, you should care about your underwear. Check out CDLP. Their underwear is made from a premium sustainable fabric called Lyocell. Lyocell is a silky soft sustainable fabric that's more durable, doesn't lose color, and requires less water than cotton. 
It's even antibacterial and anti-odor. I've been wearing the boxer trunk and have recently switched all my underwear over. They're incredibly comfortable and have a low waist with a short leg. It's not as long as a boxer brief, but not as short as a standard brief. It's perfect. Best of all, CDLP underwear is designed with men's tailoring in mind. There's no tacky prints or gimmicky waistband logos. Just simple, elegant underwear in a variety of neutral colors. Right now, CDLP is offering 10% off for Blamo listeners. Just go to cdlp.com and use promo code Blamo at checkout. That's cdlp.com and use promo code Blamo at checkout. So get moving and upgrade your drawers. So how many watch auctions have you done? Because there's been, I, what, like eight, seven or eight Geneva auctions, maybe even more? So since, since our founding in November 2014, we, were, we officially announced the existence of Philips watches in November 2014. I had signed on in September. Mm-hmm. We had our very first auction in May 2015. Okay. So within about six months, we had to really get our act together, <laughs> yeah. let the world know we exist, and have our first auction. And that first auction was a smashing success. It shows the relationships that Aurel had built, mm-hmm. Livia Russo, his, his partner and, and wife. They've, they've had great relationships that they've, they've nurtured for, for decades in the industry. And those clients came in full force, mm. entrusting them with great watches, but also coming back and, and participating at auction. Uh, Natalie Montbaron, Dr. Natalie Montbaron, she was part of the team, and, and Virginie Leotard Rosli. It was a very small team. And um, yeah, so Geneva Watch Auction won with a glamorous day date sale. That was the first auction. And today, leading up to the fall season, uh, we're going to have our 10th Geneva auction. Oh my God, 10, okay. Our ninth Hong Kong auction. And in New York, it's going to be our third New York auction, which is the Game Changers theme sale. Yeah, something that you guys also do, and because I do want to talk about Game Changers, but for me, you know, I, I really entered this and a lot of listeners are like this too. And you're a bit of a novice, you want to learn more, but you don't really want to tell everyone that you want to learn more. And something that you guys do which for me was, was really exciting, is you can just watch the live stream of these Phillips auctions, which I would say is some of the most riveting television I've ever seen because, you know, and I, I'm, I'll definitely, we'll have links for this, but and I'll encourage the listeners to check this out because when you see, you know, Aurel do these auctions, one, it's interesting because, you know, you're on the phones sometimes because you're taking bids or placing bids. And then he's switching out of all these languages into the, you know, I mean, it's, it is mind blowing and incredibly exciting to watch these happen because a lot of times, you know, and we don't need to call out any specific watches, but like a lot of times, some of these watches, there's an idea of what they'll go for, but it's crazy to see how the room responds when it goes for just, you know, an astronomical amount or to see, you know, how excited some of these people are about getting these watches. They are a lot of fun. Uh, if if you've never been to a live auction, a watch auction at Phillips, I highly encourage you to come. Yeah. Um, or watch it, as you said, on, on a live stream. Aurel is an incredible auctioneer. Yeah. Uh, in a separate life, he could have been an actor. Uh, he, he's <laughs> really agree. he's really a great showman. Um, and as you said, he switches between five or six languages. Heavens. On, at, on at a drop, 
if it's an Italian bidder, if it's a German bidder, French bidder, he'll t- speak their language, he'll do bid increments, he'll do bid increments in his head converting from Swiss francs to Hong Kong dollars to US dollars faster than the oh, clerks man. can do it. Jeez. He, he's extremely gifted yeah. in the field of auctioneering. And watching him, it's a show. Yeah. Uh, when, when the Geneva, first Geneva auction happened, it was my first time ever being in a Geneva auction. And I tell you, the place we, we had built, we built um, a, an amazing tent outside of Hotel La Reserve mm-hmm. uh, for that first auction. And we continue to do that to the very, uh, this very season. The, the place was filled. It, it was like a cultural event for Switzerland where people just come to experience the auction that's led by Orel. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's definitely a magical experience and it's funny because I think, you know, in my head and other people's heads, when people think of auctions, unfortunately, a lot of times people think of something like eBay, like it's just a digital auction. You know, you don't really see, like you were saying, the showmanship and, you know, also the, the talent and skill that's required to, to really showcase these pieces and to communicate that and you know the excitement that's in the room from it i mean it is a magical magical experience there's a lot of homework yes that, that goes into into it that so we're running a marathon and the final lap is the auction yeah uh and we do our very best you know to find clients for particular watches and typically orel knows if i'm on the phone with a bidder orel knows who it is and when he's speaking to me, he knows exactly who he's speaking to. He does his homework. Wow. Um, and when, that's, when you entrust us with a watch for sale, you, you can be assured that we're really working hard to find the right buyer for your timepiece. Yeah, because you know, I think what's really exciting, and this is something that I would say Phillips has done that I've witnessed, is you know, again, that this watch world has opened up to more and more people but the, how you guys open that up is in, from an educational standpoint versus let's just see how much these things are worth. You know, I think some people, when they think of, you know, auctions, it's, you know, you think of like a Basquiat, like just going for hundreds of millions of dollars and you're wondering what's going to happen with it. And with you guys, there's always just this loving education that's surrounded by it. I mean, the watch previews, and I think a lot of people don't realize this, when you come to the watch preview, you can see the watch you can in, you know in many cases touch and feel the watch and and really like see what it's like on your wrist absolutely um i encourage anyone who really wants to get a crash course in the finest watches to come to an auction preview there's no pressure to buy you're there to inspect and examine the specialists are always happy to talk to you and share their knowledge and you're welcome to try on most pieces. Some pieces, clients ask us not to have sure. uh, people try them on uh, unless they're you know, going to bid on the watches. But in 99% of cases, you're welcome to try them on, see how they look, see how they feel, and develop your own taste. Yeah. And um, seeing a watch in a picture, especially a press picture, is nothing like seeing it in the metal and trying it on your wrist. Yeah. And when we have watches uh on our ex- in our exhibitions from from auctions from geneva hong kong or new york the diversity and the selection is you can't get this anywhere and you could try on watches from today all the way back to the 1920s and see what you really like yeah well and so that brings me to 
what you guys are getting ready to do this this game changers auction. So you do have the Marlon Brando Apocalypse Now watch, which you know, as we were discussing earlier, is oh, do you have it here? Holy shit! Are you see? Oh my god! Wow! Holy moly, dude, this is insane. Was that how did he scratch? How did he scratch his name in this? So uh, Marlon Brando loved to engrave his things. And um, he has many voice <laughs> recorders that he engraved his full name and address. He got an engraver pen one day and took his engraver pen and focused it on his watch. And he, he engraved M. Brando on it. Petra's mom, Caroline Barrett, was there. And as soon as he finished this watch, he told her, give me your watch. Let me engrave yours. And she's like, get away from me. <laughs> Oh my God. I think, you know, one of the things that we had discussed earlier is like how this was a watch that a lot of people were looking for. And, you know, it was like this lore that had never been out there, but Marlon Brando himself is also someone that I think the entire entertainment industry has long admired. And also I would even say like tried to understand, you know, he was, you know, going from the, the Oscar, uh, you know, basically his his polite refusal of his Oscar and raising the awareness for the American Disadvantaged Indians. American Indians. Yeah, I mean, and then also up until uh, his Dick Cavett interview, which a, a lot of people have talked about, is like one of the most like raw and uh, I would say unguarded Marlon Brando interviews ever. Uh, he is someone in this in this world that like, unfortunately, there will m- maybe never be anyone else like him. But it also, you know, what he accomplished in his life is is pretty is pretty incredible. And also the fact this this is the watch that was worn in the movie. It's the exact watch worn in the movie. <laughs> and Marlon Brando, believe it or not, was a watch guy. He loved watches. Uh, he was fascinated with time. He had often worn two watches, one on each wrist. And I think you might have spotted that yeah. on the DeCavit interview. And he did that so that he can keep track of time zones. He, he was fascinated with London and Tahiti. He would often travel to both locations. And so the watch on his left wrist would keep time in Los Angeles. The watch on his right wrist would either keep time in uh, London or Tahiti. A Rolex GMT Master keeping track of two time zones was a perfect watch for him. Yeah. So his, his everyday watch was, was a Rolex GMT Master, a different watch than this one. Mm-hmm. This is one he wore only on special occasions. And you could see that because the watch is remarkably well preserved. Yeah. I, I would say a watch that is of the age and province of, of you know Marlon Brando and being worn in, in a film usually doesn't look this clean and i mean it almost i mean the bezel is 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 gone but like the the case that how sharp it is how i mean geez louise yeah (laughs) and you could see if you look closely at the back of the lugs once he got it it looks like he immediately took off the bracelet and it's it's a look he he wanted according to petra he kept it in his closet and um really wanted to cherish this piece yeah you know, the interesting thing in, in this Game Changers auction, you basically could just offer this and that would be it. And that's fine. <laughs> you also have Jack Nicholas's president. Is what Was it 1803 or an 1803? Exactly. Okay. It, it, it's, an, it's an 1803 uh, day date. We call it the Jack Nicholas Rolex day date. 
Um, it's a watch he wore for over 50 years. It was his very first wristwatch. He was gifted it by Rolex in 1967. He chose it in 1966, and Rolex delivered it to him in 1967. He, he was at a cocktail event with Arnold Palmer, and uh, Arnold told him, you should choose a day date. It's their best model. And sure enough, he did. Receives it in 1967, wears it every day. It's his favorite timepiece. Um, it accompanied him. He, he wore it for 12 of his major wins, 12 of his 18 major championship wins. As soon as he would finish his round of golf, he put the watch on and hoist his trophies. And you see him throughout the decades wearing this exact watch. Um, I was thrilled to, to get it. I, I heard Jack speaking about the watch and his desire to auction it to raise funds for the charity founded by he and his wife, Barbara, the Nicholas Children's Healthcare Foundation. And I loved the mission, and I, I knew we could help. And I tracked him down with the help of Paul Lerner again, who uh, is our superstar uh, publicist. And um, Paul had a connection to the uh, Nicholas team. And we, we, we spoke, to, spoke to the connection, briefed him on what we were looking to do, got introduced to Jack Nicholas's right-hand man, Andy O'Brien, and um, told them about what Phillips is all about, uh, shared with them, of course, the results of the Winning Icons auction when we sold Paul Newman's Paul Newman Daytona for yeah. the world record price, and, and the manner in which we did it, met Jack had to uh you know let him know who we are of course and after a couple of meetings they decided to entrust us with it so this was one where you guys sought the watch out versus someone with the watch seeking you out correct uh exactly right so so the paul newman daytona found us this watch found us i pursued (laughs) the day date (laughs) phillips pursued the day date um because you know Jack comes from the world of golf, and, and he's not going to be familiar with the world of watch auctions, and, right? Right, and, and all. So I, uh, I knew we could help, and, and uh, because the mission is so so noble, I really was hoping to get it. Yeah, it's it's weird, and this is something that breaks my heart because I'm not going to be able to communicate this in an audio interview. But the feeling you feel when you're just in the presence of an object that has so much history associated with it. And also the fact that it was worn on someone else's like skin. And I'm not trying to sound weird here, but it's like, I mean that, that it's, it's almost intimidating. Like you can like feel the presence. <laughs> it's, it's very strange, but it's, in, it's an incredible feeling. The, the two watches do have a sort of gravity <laughs> gravitas, uh, no doubt. And um, despite the fact that the day date was worn over 50 for over 50 years as a daily wearing watch, it looks remarkable. Yeah. The, which shows you the enduring uh, survivability and uh, robustness of these, these great timepieces. Is there, so with all these watches that you have, were there any other pieces that you guys are, that you're going to have in this auction? I mean, not that you even need any more, but just out of curiosity. Yes. So we, um, we have an incredible Urwerk clock. It's, 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 uh, it's, it's going to be on the back cover of our catalog. It is really the marriage of the great, the best of today's technology with the best of mechanical Right. historic watchmaking technology. 
It's the AMC Atomic Mechanical Control. So it's comprised of two standalone timepieces. The first is an atomic clock. Okay. Uh, capable of standalone one second accuracy in 317 years. It marries <laughs> up to a standalone 100% mechanical wristwatch. And it's the first modern timepiece that could set the mechanical timepiece, um, synchronize and wind the mechanical timepiece, and then regulate the mechanical timepiece to reflect the current down to the second accuracy of the atomic clock. That's mind-boggling. Like it's I'm mind-blowing. replaying what you said in my head to to process that. It, just as a side note because so many listeners are going to be familiar with with Rolex and Urwerk is one of the independent houses that a lot of people have, you know, long been fascinated by but not always truly understood. Would you mind just giving like a very very quick or simple you know, explanation of her work. Absolutely. I, I believe her work was founded in the late nineties and it's, uh, one of the most groundbreaking independent brands, uh, still very relevant and thriving today. Mm-hmm. Their aesthetic is, is about space. Um, but they're really focused on accuracy and precision. Mm-hmm. Uh, the watches are extremely well-made and they're a favorite of people like Michael Jordan. Uh, they're, they're avant-garde, uh, and yeah, to- they're very avant-garde. Totally original right. designs. Yeah. And Felix Baumgartner, one of the founders of Urwerk, is a third-generation watchmaker. He grew up working on Breguet clocks with his father where they were uh, servicing them and, and restoring them. And the most inspiring things that they worked on were these Breguet sympathetique clocks and watches. So in the 1700s, Abraham Louis Breguet created a version of the AMC believe it or not, where oh it was God. a standalone, wonderfully made clock, and you insert a pocket watch into the clock, and that pocket watch, over time, would fully wind, would be fully wound by the clock, mm-hmm. and be set to the correct time by the clock. The uh, Abraham Lewin Breguet himself probably made about 12 of these clocks together. It's believed that one or two of them did all three of the things I had mentioned that the AMC does, which is wind, set, and adjust, regulate. <laughs> to do the three together is, is a real difficult thing. Yeah. And I think they're working to confirm if one or two of those Breguet sympathetic clocks of that era did that. Those clocks were so important to Breguet that he said to his son that this invention would really make the name of Breguet known around the world. He, it was his, probably his the achievement he was most proud of. Over the Turbion? Over the Turbion. Heavens, that's to be, to be able to do that. So Baumgartner, inspired by the time with his father, wanted to create something of today with the AMC. And you've got the same concept, taking the state of the art of today's precision timekeeping, which is a standalone atomic clock, and it's married up to a mechanical timepiece with so many innovations within that mechanical timepiece, completely built and designed and fabricated in-house by Urwerk, built from the ground up. So a lot of independent brands take existing movements and finish them to their own standard and do their own case and dial designs. This Urwerk piece is 100% 
in-house the the wristwatch the mechanical wristwatch this is why your work i i respect them so much to to do something fully in-house is really difficult and Urwerk does that today so this is the marriage of the best of yesterday to the best of today i mean an atomic clock this particular atomic clock it's controlled by rubidium atoms <laughs> and the rubidium atoms oscillate at 429 quadrillion beats per second a mechanical wristwatch oscillates at four beats per second, four hertz, right. 429 quadrillion hertz for the atomic clock. The faster something beats regularly, yeah. the better timekeeper it is. That's why atomic clocks, the atoms, they resonate so fast, and there's something measuring how quickly they're, they're oscillating. And when 429 quadrillion beats were measured, it right. knows a second has elapsed. If that clock was temperature controlled because it's a standalone clock that you could put on your desk if they put that clock in a temperature controlled environment it would be capable of keeping time to one second every 10 million years but because it's a standalone you use it in your home sure it's capable of an accuracy of one second every 317 years and imagine it trend it can transfer that accuracy to this mechanical wristwatch fully mechanical the watch has no electronics and a mechanical sensor figures out the difference in the timing between the atomic clock and the beat rate of the uh, escapement on the mechanical watch and sets the beat rate to match the atomic clock. And it does this every time you dock the wristwatch to the clock. And it, it, it's once per day. So imagine it, you have your own in-house watchmaker that yeah. <laughs> regulates your timepiece uh, every time you, you dock it. That's so super thrilled about it as an engineer and a guy who loves watches. It, it takes two of the worlds that I've grown up with and merges them. It's a synthesis of all that. That's seriously, that's incredible. It's an art piece. It truly is. And it's, there's only four that will ever be made. And um, it's the first one offered uh, publicly. Uh, and we have it in with an estimate starting at $1 million. That I can't believe I'm going to say this, but like a million dollars actually seems a little low for something like that. It's I incredible. Mean, that's insane. Wow. So just as a side note, because we're going to wrap up pretty soon, there are a lot of people out there that are incredibly fascinated by watches and want to, you know, they want to learn and they want to build their own collection. My two questions are, one, you know, where did you learn all of this? And then two... If someone wanted to learn more and maybe build their own, like where would they go? The best thing is, is to get out there. Get out there, visit shops, visit auction previews, handle the timepieces, mm-hmm. and speak to specialists around you. Mm-hmm. The best way to learn is to handle. You can learn a lot from the internet uh, by reading blogs, right. uh, the forums. In the, in the 2000s, early 2000s, I was really active on the forums, timezone.com, yeah. and, and back then, Purist Pro. Uh, they were really the, the number one way for the collector community to interact uh, online. Today, it's, it's moved more towards blogs and Instagram, uh, where a lot of the communication happens. But there's great information in the archives of these... Um, Discussion forums, like I, like I mentioned, timezone.com, mm-hmm. the purist, uh, the vintage Rolex forum. Yeah. There, there's great historic knowledge there. And if you have a type of watch you, you like, dive in as deeply as you can on that genre of watch 
to learn as much as, as you can. Focus. It's, it's key that you focus. Understand your sensibilities and your aesthetic preferences and focus on those watches you like most. Try it on your wrist. See if it fits you. That's the most important thing for long-term satisfaction in a watch is if it fits your wrist well. Yeah. And one other thing I'd love for you to answer is so many people that want to buy watches and that they're, you know, they're like, okay, like I want to get something. And a question that I get asked a lot that I would, you know, I'm going to defer to you. People are like, why do I want the watch unpolished? Like, why do I want it in the original state when wouldn't it be better if I had the watch fixed and serviced and now it's brand new again? Yeah. It it all comes down to originality and when you, it's important you, you take care of your watch and you service it when it needs to be serviced. Sure. But only service the inside and do your best not to muck with the outside. Keep the dial original, keep the hands original and keep the case untouched. The reason being for the cases. Imagine the Rolex factory has Mm -hmm. this amazing equipment, Patek Philippe factory, Vacheron Constantin factory. They have this amazing equipment and know-how from watchmakers that fabricate these cases and these bracelets. And they put these embellishments, these curves, these edges, these facets that -hmm. come from the factory. The moment you polish away scratches, you remove all of that lovely know-how, all of those beautiful details that come from the factory's vision, they're gone forever. You can never put metal back on and get those factory's finished surfaces. Mm. And the factory finished surfaces, even with all the scratches, dings, dents, it's absolutely beautiful to look at compared to something that's been polished by your local watchmaker or even a factory watchmaker. They're not going to put the same attention to when the watch was originally fabricated back on that case. Wow. Okay. What, what I'm, um, I'd love to do is invite the uh, listeners of Blamo to come visit us uh, anywhere in the world where we have our exhibitions. We'd love to welcome you and show you uh, these watches firsthand. We'll be on view in New York from December 5th through the 10th at Phillips, and the auction day uh, for Game Changers is December 10th. That's going to be awesome. Well, I will be there. Well, Paul... I really, really can't thank you enough for your time, your candor, and obviously showing me these watches. Thank you. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Thank you very much, Jeremy. All right. Take care. You've been listening to Blamo. Our music is by the mysterious Breakmaster Cylinder. Blamo is edited by Brendan Finn. If you like the show, rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. The ratings help let others know we're doing something good. You can follow along with us on Instagram at Blamo Podcast or send us an email at info at blamopod.com. Want to know more about what's going on in fashion, menswear, watches, or just meet other folks? Join our Slack group. It's a private chat group online where tons of Blamo listeners chat about everything. Just send us an email saying, hey, I want to join the Slack and we'll get you in. Thanks a lot. See you next week. <laughs>